As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined again Surprise comeback appearance for Paul Tenorio, taking a brief cameo off the bench from paternity leave to hop on the pod. Paul, thanks for joining. It's a pleasure to have you on. <laughs> yeah, I had to get permission from uh, my son, Ben, before I made an appearance tonight, but he really likes Sam. Anytime Sam calls me, Ben starts to scream and talk as loudly as possible. So when I told him the pod was with Sam Stayskull, he was like, absolutely, go ahead. Go for it. Ben's a big allocation disorder fan. Huge. <laughs> Biggest eight-month-old allocation disorder fan. Ben ever. already knows the many uses of GAM in this league. Well, we learned a few more this week, I think it's safe to say. And, and yes, we will be discussing the Caden Clark shenanigans, uh, maze. The good stuff. The good stuff. I, I, I mean, that that's what this show was made for. It's an allocation order transaction. It's 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 our namesake, you know. Uh, but we have some other things to get to first. We're going to talk about MLS and its record winter of transfers abroad. Very good thing for the league as it looks to become more of a seller. But first, we are going to start with a not so happy story out of Portland. It was announced today by the Timbers that Andy Polo, midfielder from Peru, has been with the club, has been had been with the club for a number of years now. Uh, his contract has been terminated in the wake of domestic violence allegations made against him by his ex-partner, Genesis Alarcon. And there's a lot to this story, Paul. And some really serious questions, I think, need to be asked of the Timbers and of the league. Um, I have asked the Timbers and the league some of those questions. The Timbers have declined to comment on any of them. I will have a story out on this at some point, hopefully on Friday, um, kind of going through a lot of these things. MLS, we'll see if they comment on it or not. Um, but I'll just give a little bit of background here and bear with me. This is, this is going to take a minute because this is a complicated issue. I think it's fair to say in some ways. And I think it's important to get the story out there, uh, as accurately as, as possible. So we'll start with the public record. Um, according to a police report, which I have read and which other outlets have published the details of a friend of of Alarcon, who Polo was married to, um, but had been separated from 
for a number of years, uh, also the mother of his children. She called 911 dispatchers the morning of May 23rd, 2021. Uh, this friend told them that Alarcon's husband, Polo, was hitting her. Uh, police, Washington County Sheriff's deputies responded to the scene and, and made inquiries. Uh, they found um, Alarcon frantic, scared, and stressed. That's directly from the pre- police report. Quickly walking around, going in and out of the upstairs bedrooms, gathering items. Uh, the children looking shook up. Um, and she alleged to the police uh, that Andy Polo had basically grabbed her and scratched her and chased her around as best he could, uh, which admittedly was not very well uh, because he had suffered a serious injury the day before in a game against the LA Galaxy, and he was on crutches. Uh, Polo denied those allegations to a the, uh, the other police officer on the scene. Um, he was downstairs. She was upstairs while they were talking to separate officers. Uh, two Timbers employees, the head of security and somebody who kind of deals with player relations uh, and management, came to the house uh, while the officers were there. The head of security is a former detective in the Portland Police Department, um, and he chatted with the two officers on the scene. Um, and the officers on the scene decided at that point that they were going to cite Polo for and and bear with me i'm just going to scroll down so i can get this exactly exactly right that they were going to cite polo for harassment offensive physical contact which is a class b misdemeanor um the police officer in question wrote that he made the decision to release polo from arrest he did not take him into custody he stayed at home because there was a safety plan in place for genesis the friend that initially called 911 had at this point arrived at the residence and offered to house her and the children, if that was what Genesis wanted. Um, and due to the fact that Polo couldn't really move around, and the two Timbers employees were there and were going to stay, and pledged to keep the situation under control. The citation was not pursued further. She So Alarcon did not press charges any further, and the Washington County Prosecutor's Office did not press them either. So legally, that's where this ended. Uh, that's not where the story ends. <laughs> From an MLS or a Timbers or an Andy Polo perspective, quite obviously. The season goes on. Polo is out injured for the remainder of it. In December, the Timbers pick up his option. Earlier this week, on Tuesday, Alarcon went on Peruvian television on a talk show and claimed that Polo basically has abused her. She talked through some of the items um, that I just ran through in the incident from last May and added some other incidents uh, in which she claims that Andy Polo pulled her hair, slapped her, gave her a black eye. Uh, she claimed that he had been violent with their children um, and alleged that Polo stopped paying child support. Um, she prevented some photos showing some of the, that alleged abuse. And, you know, upon questioning from the TV presenter, uh, claimed that the Timbers are, quote, acting clueless, but they knew from the beginning. Um Polo vehemently denies this. He denied it to the police at the time in May. Uh, He issued a statement himself on Thursday denying all of this as well. Um, On Wednesday, so the day after the TV appearance, the Timbers and MLS both issued statements announcing that Polo had been suspended by the league and removed from all team activities pending the outcome of an MLS investigation. On Thursday, less than 24 hours after that announcement, uh, the Timbers terminated Polo's contract. Uh... It seems unilaterally. I'm not sure at this point if the MLSPA was involved. Um, and this is sort of where 
a lot of the questions about process begin, Paul, because we know what what we know in the public record is what I ran ran through essentially. There are some additional details in there from the police report, additional details in there from the interview, uh, but that's that's the gist of what we know. What we don't know is what happened after that incident on May twenty third. We do not know if the Timbers employees went to their superiors in the organization and informed them of what was happening. We do not know if it escalated all the way to Merritt Paulson, the owner, or Gavin Wilkinson, the GM, or anyone else in the organization. We don't know if that information got to the league. We don't know if there was an investigation on the part of the league or the Timbers at that point into Polo uh, and his behavior. We do know that he remained on the team. We do know that he was not suspended. And we do know that they picked up his option in December. We also know that he's no longer a member of the club. And we know what the Timbers said in their statement on Thursday. And it was a pretty, pretty strong, strongly worded in some ways. Um, it was an unusual statement. I think it's fair to say. And I'm just going to read it in full. The Timbers were previously aware of a dispute between Andy Polo and his partner on May 23rd, 2021, that resulted in the Washington County Sheriff's Office citing Polo for harassment. That citation was not subsequently pursued by the victim or the prosecutor's office. We deeply regret not suspending Polo immediately, especially considering the troubling new details of abuse that surfaced this week. It was a failure on our part and one that will never happen again. It then went on to list some resources for victims of domestic violence that they can tap into if they are suffering and need help. That statement was not attributed to any one person. It was just from the club. So, I mean, Paul, I've been talking a while and my thoughts are a little bit unorganized right now, so I'm going to kick it to you in a second. But I just have so many questions about what was known when and what was attempted to be known when and and also, I have real questions about what happened over the last 24, 48 hours and what might happen here over the coming days and weeks and maybe even months as this continues to play out. And I believe that it will continue to play out and there will be further developments because of how this appears to have been handled by the Timbers and by the league. But I'll kick it to you. What, what are your thoughts here? What stands out? Well, Obviously, I think-, I think we need to start with the victim, right? And I think that it doesn't go without saying. Yeah, but, well, I know. I think it 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 all starts there, right? It starts with with the opportunity for an organization to support the victim in May by suspending Andy Polo and putting an investigation into place by alerting the league. And again, we don't know for sure if the league was or was not alerted, but we know that the league has an SABH program substance abuse behavioral health right is uh, is the name of the program and we know that that covers domestic violence and we know that when that SABH program has been triggered before for players for numerous different reasons whether it's DUI whether it's for domestic abuse that the league has announced it and there was no announcement in May that Andy Polo had been entered in, into the SABH program that's the first opportunity to provide support to the victim of domestic abuse. And it, and it failed there. And then it was just failure after failure after failure following that. It right? appears anyway. Yeah. I would have a hard time believing that there was any sort of investigation. I would have a hard time believing just based on everything we do know. So it's just disappointing. It's frustrating. It's, 
infuriate, infuriating in some ways. It's, it's certainly one of those things you look at and you say, you start to ask bigger questions of the organization in Portland because we know what happened with the Thorns and, you know, their lack of investig or their, their lack of action after an investigation into Paul Riley, the coach of the Thorns. And the fact that they allowed him to resign at the end of the season and that that resignation mentioned nothing regarding an investigation, the findings of that investigation. And he went on to be hired by another NWSL team immediately. And so when an organization, the same organization has now two instances where it appears as though they, in one instance, had an investigation, had a finding and kind of allowed that investigation to go to stay private, not go public, stay quiet, and allow the person to move on and continue his professional career. And another instance where their personnel were called to the scene of a domestic disturbance and there seemingly wasn't, it seems that there was not an investigation. We're still awaiting answers from from the Timbers and from Major League Soccer. And that that player's contract was then renewed they picked up his option in December. Right. Seven months later. And then two months after that, he was dropped only when it became public right. knowledge. That's That seems to be an institutional problem. And so my big question now is that, that kind of sits at the top of this list and I think sprinkles down to every other question we have is th- will there be an investigation by Major League Soccer into the Portland Timbers organization? And I think that's a pretty fair question to ask. And I think the league and Don Garber have to answer it because they, and, and that's the thing. They need to answer these questions. Yes. They need to. This is, you're not talking about MLS roster rules and cheating, right? And they should answer those questions too. But uh, something for which they did have an investigation for which they levied six figure and seven figure fines for which, uh, an employee of, ma- of a major league soccer team was suspended for two years. Yeah. You know, for breaking this rules, is not real for breaking life, laws. Though. This is real life. Right. Man. Right. Like this this isn't this isn't like some numbers on a spreadsheet and trying to get around the cap to assemble the best roster possible. This is real life. And and they need to answer questions about this. And so far they're not. You know, and I'll I'll give MLS some more time. I don't know if they're going to comment or not, to be fair to them. The Timbers have told me, as of an hour or two ago, as I sit here recording this Thursday night, they're not going to comment. And and they should. And, and I know there's probably some legal things at play here, and there are probably things that they can and cannot say. But when you have a situation like this, you owe it to the victim, in my opinion. You owe it to your own fans. And you owe it to just people that observe the league to provide an explanation. They put their hand up and they said in the statement that they made a mistake by not suspending Polo. But they provided no details on the nature of that mistake. And it's important to kind of shine light on what the nature of that mistake was so that it doesn't get repeated again. Right. And like, that's the key thing here. And so, I mean, I like, I I don't know, man, there's, there's so many things, there's so many things here, but like, if there was not an investigation in in May, why not? Why not? And if there was, why didn't it find the things that Alarcon is now claiming? Right. And maybe there was a situation where they did open an investigation and maybe people were maybe not willing to talk at that point. And maybe they're willing to talk now. But I'm guessing if the Timbers opened an investigation back in May, they probably would have said that in the announcement today. 
At least they probably should have. And they didn't. So, I mean, there's a vacuum of information. And I think you and I, Paul, we probably need to be careful to not speculate too much here. Um, but I think my main takeaway is that the league and the Timbers have very serious questions to answer about this. It's important that they actually go out and do it. And it's not a situation where on background or, you know, they can message things and it's sources. No, they need to put their name on it, ideally have a press conference, and really address this. If they're serious about making this better, then they'll stand out in front and really address it. And, and I think your question about will MLS investigate the Timbers organization is a very valid one. Well, I think it's worth pointing out that Major League Soccer announced in November that it had, it had uh, hired Ruben Tomlinson LLP to con- conduct an ind- quote independent review of how the Van- Vancouver Whitecaps organization handled allegations of misconduct brought by members of the Whitecaps women's team in 2008 and 2011 against former coaches. That's before the Whitecaps entered into Major League Soccer, or at least part right. of it is. Right. And, you know, the findings and any recommendations will be publicly released. We still haven't heard anything from that yet. Again, that started in November. That those executives are still on leave. Those, invest- those executives involved. are still on leave. You know, we don't know where that investigation stands at this point. But if that investigation was launched into that organization by Major League Soccer, if they were willing to hire an independent review of the Whitecaps, I don't see what would be different in this case. From before, by the way, the Whitecaps even joined MLS. Right. We're talking about incidents from before they were even in the league, and the league was willing to go after them and, and look into it. And I think that's that's something that's laudable. I'm, I'm glad that the league is doing that. But if they're doing that in that case, are they going to do it in this one? And I think, you know, for me, I'm, I grew up in the D.C. area, so I've kind of closely followed what's going on with the Washington football team and Daniel Snyder and the issues that, that the NFL— You mean the commanders? Yeah. The commies? The, the, com- the commanders. Um and the issues that Roger Goodell and the league are now facing with regards to questions of their own investigation that are supposedly independent investigation of the Washington football team and a potential agreement that was signed between the league and the, and the franchise, um, essentially a consent agreement about what would and wouldn't be released. The fact that Roger Goodell asked for an oral report and not a written report, essentially looking like they don't want to release something publicly. So there are. There can be problems. I mean, a, we have examples league. close. We have examples closer to home than that, Paul. We, we're still waiting on an, on the announcement of of the findings from the Thorns investigation, right? And right. from you, from U.S. Soccer those. has multiple investigations. And, and, Sally Yates put out a statement today about the investigation into the NWSL, and which includes the Thorns allegations, right? And MLS's investigation of Real Salt Lake, right? Those findings are not going to be made public. The league has said that, right? So that therein lies the issue, right? This league has already set a precedent that they aren't going to be public about some of the findings of investigations that they hold into entities that they own into a single entity structure. Not, not even that they own, that are part of part the of, ownership of structure of soccer. the entire league. Right. Yeah. So there are problems here all the way around that the league is going to, I believe the league has to be transparent here and, and, and they need to be held accountable. The league needs to be held accountable The and the organizations, if there were, you know, if there were failings, if there was not an investigation, if the league was not informed, who knew in the Timbers organization? How high did it go? Who who did you know in the power structure? Who was informed when these by these two employees of what they encountered at Andy Polo's residence? So a lot of questions, a lot of questions. But you know, certainly, I think on the surface right now, those questions paint a. They, they paint a picture that's not a great one right now. 
No, it's not. And maybe we'll be surprised, Paul, right? I'm going to leave some room for us to be surprised. But we would both be surprised if those questions that we just listed didn't have pretty problematic answers, right? And, and and who knows? Like, maybe maybe we will be surprised. But when you kind of game it out and you go through the best possible scenarios for the Timbers, right, in terms of how, like, how did they do this and how did this happen? Like, for as an organization, maybe the best possible scenario is that the two people were there just straight up didn't tell anybody. And, like, that's problematic in its own way. And the chances of that being the case, I mean, extremely slim, I would say. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's actually, we know it's not the case. They said that they knew that they were aware previously of the incident on May 23rd. So we know that they knew. Um, one other thing that I want to talk about on this, um, and this is more process and it's by no means the main part of this story, but SABH policy as laid out in MLS documents that CBAs and constitutions and things that they've sent to Congress, actually. I was doing some research this afternoon. <laughs> um, basically, as Paul mentioned, domestic violence is is covered under the substance abuse and behavior health policy. And punishments under that policy, up to and including termination of contracts, are supposed to be meted out by Don Garber, the commissioner. And this is according to the previous two versions of the CBA that I was able to track down. The current CBA, we do not have the language for. So that may have changed. Um, I would be somewhat surprised if it did. It's pretty standard language, I think. It's something that they've already agreed upon, and it's not something that they would, I don't think, look to change, really, the two parties on either side of the CBA. Um, but it's supposed to be handed down by Don Garber. This punishment was not handed down by Don Garber. In fact, as of this recording... The league has not said anything about Andy Polo being ter- his contract being terminated by the Timbers. That was a Timbers announcement and a Timbers move. And I am very curious if that investigation that was launched Wednesday was closed by the time that the Timbers cut Polo on Thursday. And if it wasn't, is there going to be a, a MLSPA issue here? Is there going to be a grievance is Polo going to have a case against the Timbers and ultimately the league who own his contract or owned his contract uh, for financial remuneration? Um, and, you know, again, that is not the main element of this by any means, but it is an element. And it's something that was, that's probably going to play out here uh, over the next few weeks and maybe months. So, uh, I mean, it's just the whole thing is a mess, man. The whole thing is a mess. And... Again, maybe they'll surprise us with some of the answers to this question, but it doesn't really look like it was well handled at any point in the process. Going to be tough to talk about anything else uh, in the league, but, you know, uh, and and for good reason. Yeah, it's not it's not exactly a happy topic, uh, a joyous topic. We will continue to report out this story. We will, of course, continue to update it as more as we hopefully get more information um, hopefully the Timbers in MLS will, you know, come out and answer some of these questions. And if and when they do, we will be sure to keep you posted on that. I think on that note, we'll go to a break um, and we'll come back with some more regular allocation disorder talk. Um, but I think one final note, like, you know, I think we just all need to do, try and do a little bit better job of, of doing right by victims in these situations. So as we go to break, I think I'll, uh, I'll leave it with that. Paul, do you want to add anything else before we 
before we switch gears. I think that's the, the right place to leave it. And it's just disappointing that in the sport we cover right now, there's so many instances that are coming to light where the victims are being failed from youth soccer all the way up to the professional ranks. We didn't even talk about Rory Ames and that story that came out in the Washington Post. So, and that was just this week too. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on and it's all, it's all pretty bad and it needs to get better. Well, we're going to take a short break. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Thanks for sticking with us through that that opening segment. It's an important one. It's not the most fun topic to discuss, but again, an important one, and it deserved the time that we gave it, and probably then some. Um, but we are going to transition into more normal soccer talk, MLS talk. Uh, and on that front, MLS is coming off a very big winter transfer window. In fact, the biggest transfer window in league history in terms of outgoing players. MLS teams thus far, and there's still some windows open in certain places around the world, so this could this could grow, uh, have sold 16 players for fees in this window. That is the most in MLS history in any one window. The finances on these are always a little bit, you know, dicey, but conservatively, I think it's fair to say that we're talking about at least $65 million in base fees. That's before bonuses. That's before sell-on percentages. That's a lot of money. And these numbers compare pretty well uh, to leagues like the Brazilian League, to the Dutch League, to the Portuguese, the Belgian. Uh, they're better than the, than the numbers that we saw in, out of Argentina and, and Liga MX. Uh, and there are some reasons for that. A lot of those leagues I just listed are mid-season. MLS is off-season. They're more likely to sell. All of those leagues have real internal transfer markets, which MLS does not. So that, that affects things as well. Um, but I think big picture, MLS is making real strides in becoming more of a seller. Um, Don Garber said it December 2018, a little over three years ago, that he wanted to be more of a selling league. And I think for me, Paul, this window was the first one where it really made me sit up and take notice like, okay, like this is actual progress here. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. It's funny because I look back to, I remember writing a column for 442 USA back in the day about MLS needing to be a selling league. And <laughs> I re- we've been doing this too long. It's been way too long. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I remember just like, I remember how stunned I was. I think it was the next state of the league address when Don Garber said those words out loud that, that MLS needed to sell. Wow. More. You're a tastemaker, dude. And Congrats. Because it was Don so, reads your columns. It was so surreal, Sam. You were there. You remember what that was like. We we you we turned around. You, we, looked, we weren't even working at the same outlet. You turned around and looked at me like yeah. you made eye contact because they had fought it for so long. The idea of being a selling league, the league was convinced that being a selling league would be perceived negatively in the American sports community as putting 
MLS pegs below the top leagues if they were selling. And, and I think at a point in time, that was probably true. Sure, but also it, people are smart enough to know you are already pegs below. Like if you are pegs below, be pegs below, you know? And what they were missing was the point of what we're seeing here. The as As years later, I started writing about this topic for The Athletic, I came around to the idea and the point, which was that this was the fastest way to close the perception gap of what people thought about Major League Soccer and what it was becoming. It's still not where it needs to be by any stretch. The product on the field can get far better. The way that they spend money could be done in a way that would make that product better without changing how much money they're spending. We don't need to talk but about that tonight. <laughs> the players that are coming out of this league that are being developed that are growing here are capable of making that next step and are worthy of valuations in some cases in the same way that players from other countries are worthy. The issue was that when you fail to set a precedent of sales, if you don't set that precedent and that player doesn't go and you have to set your own market, exceed that market. Then the next player goes for more money. Then that player goes and performs up to that standard. And then the next player brings more money. And what's happened is that's happened rapidly, like incredibly rapidly. So fast. And everyone should be saying thank you to FC Dallas, honestly, because mm -hmm. it's their players that accomplish it. And really, Sam, you wrote about this. As you said, we've been doing this. For, you wrote about this. I've written the same story like with Weston McKenney, I read it, right? I read it two or three times a year. <laughs> but you you wrote this recently with Weston McKenney when it when when we first started seeing signs that this would happen. Yeah, it was a year ago, and actually. and exactly. it was essentially that Weston really opened the doors. Weston really showed that you can go. In this case, he was free, but that you know he went to Schalke straight from an MLS academy, straight from an MLS academy onto the field for Schalke. Performed really well, sold to Juve, which shocked everyone, and then be now went from being on the market for Juve at the beginning of this window to untouchable by the end of it. Well, but there might be some more volatility his, coming. His in valuation, <laughs> yeah, is is sky high. Yeah, and that changed the mindset of how people looked at MLS. Now, in my discussions with sources in Europe, there's still a unsurprisingly. Like the biggest clubs in the world, Chelsea, you know, Bayern Munich, they're not going to be looking often in Major League Soccer. Alfonso Davies being the exception to that rule. And actually Bayern being the exception to that rule because they have a partnership yeah. with FC Dallas. But like, you know, when – and that's okay. But they're they're selling players they're, for They're not looking to Argentina or Brazil very often either, by right. the way. They're, they're buying from other Champions League clubs. Correct. They allow <laughs> Christian politics of the world to go to Dortmund – become a Champions League player, prove himself at a very high level, and then they spend $65, $70 million on, on Christian Pulisic, right? That's their market. <laughs> and, and that's not going to happen out of Major League Soccer anytime soon, I don't think. But Ricardo Pepe went to Augsburg for $20 million, man. Like, this market is changing incredibly fast. I mean, and even if you come down from that, Sam, even if you go look at what I mean, Daryl DK, Kevin Paredes, seven seven, seven million dollars for Kevin Paredes is the these, perfect example for me. These are guys that haven't even played forty games in MLS. Yes, yes, it's and, it's, and, it's crazy. And that's the thing that I sort of wanted to talk about here, Paul. This is the big change, right? I, I mentioned a lot of those numbers, and that's really promising, and that's really cool. Five of actually the most of the of the highest eleven 
I'm saying this, I'm really speaking good right now. Five of the top 11 most expensive fees received by MLS clubs were this window. And it was Pepe, DK, Paredes, Tejan Buchanan, and Matt Turner. And, and so that's that's really cool. But when you look at those five players, they're certainly talented, right? But when you look at the class of 1819 that winter, which was, to me, the most kind of transformative, best, biggest class before this one, the three big players in that one, Miguel Almiron, Alfonso Davies, Tyler Adams, right? And they went, Almiron went for 25 plus million. Davies went for 13 base, rising to 22. And Adams went for three, but he, you know, that was 3 million out of one of Red Bull's pockets put into another one of Red Bull's pockets. If he was going outside the family, it probably would have been higher than that. And if he's bought by a Premier League team, there will yes. be a significant mo- amount of money coming and, to. But, but the point is, is that for MLS, those three guys are generational talents. Almiron was, had maybe the best two year run in league history. With yeah, Atlanta. Talent level, we haven't seen an Almiron since Almiron, and it's going to be a while till we do again. Da- Davies, like a legitimate world class player. Like, like a, tr- like a true, like the best player in CONCACAF, the best player in Canada history, the best left back in the world there for a while. Like, he made the best 11 in the world as, as designated by FIFPRO. Like, he's insane. You know, like players like him don't grow on trees. Even Adams, who I think most would say is a cut below. Davies and Almiron in terms of his, his ability and his skill. Um, you know, he's maybe the most important player for the national team and, and a captain of the national team at age 22 or 23. World-class like, defensive midfielder in terms of his defensive actions. I yes. world These are rare players. These guys do not grow on trees. And when you look at the group that was sold this winter, you can maybe recreate a Kevin Paredes or a Tejan Buchanan or a Daryl DK, or even a Ricardo Pepe. You're not recreating Davies, or Almiron, or even Adams. Those are much harder to pull off again. This one, it feels like you can replicate it. And the money is way up there, right? Pepe went for essentially the same fee that Davies did, right? DK went for three times what Adams went for. Paredes went for more than twice what Adams went for. Yeah, the Paredes one is the one that stands out to me as being not egregious, but as a sign of the valuations in this league. Now, again, it goes back to setting a market. And Paredes plays the same position as Alfonso Davies and as Tejan Buchanan and as Reggie Cannon and as DeAndre Yedlin and as all of these fullbacks who have left MLS and gone to Europe and had success. And so people in Europe, teams in Europe know that you can go to Major League Soccer, sign a wingback or a fullback, and and pretty much know what you're buying. It'll translate. Yeah. Brian Reynolds is probably the exception to that right now in that he hasn't worked out so well so well at but, Roma. But he ain't done yet. But yeah. he, he's really, really young. He hasn't really played. But that's indicative of why his price was what it was. So they are, you know, Prades is a benefit, you know, he's a beneficiary of that market being set for major league soccer. I mean outside backs. It's the phrase we use all the time. Proving the concept. Right. Th- that's what we say when we have this discussion. And the concept is being proven to a greater degree. Right. And and some market forces are helping MLS, too. Right. I think it needs to be said around the world. Teams all over are trying to buy super young. Right. And MLS academies have matured. And I'll give the league credit here, man. Like a lot of teams have pivoted towards this with the idea of selling some of these players. And I think it's telling, Paul. 
that these five guys, these top five fees that I mentioned, Pepe, DK, Paredes, Buchanan, Turner, all five are American or Canadian. Two of them, homegrown players. Three of them, super draft. None of them bought for a fee. And that's the next step for Major League Soccer, right? Because the other side of this is that MLS is still spending a ton of money, which we want to see. They have billionaire owners. It's good. But they haven't. The proof of concept is not there yet for players that MLS teams are buying to then sell. I mean, Almirón is the greatest example. And in recent memory, you see certain guys go. And I, I saw a lot of this discussion on my Twitter feed today because I made a Atuesta joke. Was yeah, I made a joke way. about, well, he went to South America. He didn't go to Europe. So, um, he went to a big club, man. And yeah, he got yeah, sold for, for a lot sure, of money. But, but I, you know, I was getting a lot of debate in my mentions today about a Chicago fire target coming out of Liga, Liga Mekis and, and Atlas and Mexican fans are all freaking out. He shouldn't go to MLS. He's, they, they can't develop foreign players. They can only sell Americans. They only know how to sell Americans. Well, they're not wrong, but there is a growing list of players. Diego Rossi has been sold. Carlos Gruezo was sold. You know, I mentioned Almiron already, um, directly to Europe. Now you're right. You know, there have been other sales to South America. We've seen actually a lot of sales to Argentina. In this window, loans and sales, Argentina and Brazil. But this is an area where MLS hopes to see more movement in the next few windows. Right? They want to see Tati Castellanos yeah. be sold. And, and some of these U22 signings that have come in in the last 12 months. Like NYCFC has to be looking at Ricardo Pepe's price and saying, you know, a team in a in a relegation battle bought an 18-year-old forward with essentially one season worth of games, you know, for $20 million. And we have the MVP of the league who golden boot, not MVP. the golden boot of the league who led us to an MLS cup title who we can't sell for $20 million. Yeah. And he's, it's not like Tati Casianos is old, <laughs> right? You know, he's, I think he's 22 or 23. Like, he's a young player. But that's himself. a good example of proof of concept. People feel like they know what they're getting with an FC Dallas player, an FC Dallas Academy player, and they don't know yet. They should. Jack Harrison is a solid Premier League player who came from NYCFC. And, and it's a city football group thing. But, yeah. you know, this is a sign of like, that's an, still a part of the market where MLS needs to grow. And I think we'll see that growth. Because MLS is putting a lot of money into buying young players. And now they just need to show they can develop them. I hope to see it. Otherwise, that U22 yeah. venture is going to be a massive well, there's gonna, failure. There's going to be some misses. We've talked about this before. There are going to be some misses there. Castellanos, I imagine, will probably get sold in the next six months. Well, there's an the offer place. on the table now right from River. Okay. Right now, as things stand, which has been Boca and River have been very active in the MLS market in this window. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Castellanos wants to go to Europe. He's been pretty public about that, but so we'll see. They'll, they'll figure um, it out. Merlo said Tati's interested in going to play for Gallardo. So this, okay. you know, now they need to get their valuation up because NYCFC did have a thirteen they million a dollar price. offer, yeah, from Brazil for Castellanos. This offer from Boca, or sorry, from River, apparently is only ten million dollars. But it is interesting Only. to see. <laughs> Only. <laughs> Clearly, their valuation is above thirteen million, so they're going to have to throw they, another they said, five. On they top said of that. at least fifteen, you know, but like before the off season started. So that'll be interesting. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of things with this right now. 
I think other leagues, European leagues in particular, still view MLS as a place where they can go and get guys for good value. Um, you know, that's changing. The margins are getting thinner in that way. They're, they're not as cheap as they used to be, as we've been discussing. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of affects things as they move forward. I think the American ownership thing plays a role, Paul. And I think sometimes it can be a little bit overstated, but when you talk about Pepe in particular, right? Augsburg owned in part by David Blitzer, the new owner of Real Salt Lake, an American guy. I think that helps. A lot of these, a lot of, a lot of these owners, these American owners, they're like, I want an American on my team. Venezia, right? John Luca Busio for what, six and a half? Tanner Testman for four? Like that one was like, whoa, you know? Like that doesn't happen if Venezia is owned by an Italian guy. Roma. Brian Reynolds. Yeah, we could go on. There's there's a lot. Um, and so I think that helps grease the wheels a little bit here, and that's a factor that's working in MLS's favor. But broadly speaking, and I'm stealing this from someone, and I can't remember who. I want to say it was Rory Smith, but I don't know. I, I tried looking for it. I couldn't find it today. But someone had this idea of thinking of the transfer market as a ladder, right? And you got the biggest clubs in the world. They're at the top of the ladder. And then you have the clubs in their leagues who aren't quite as big or successful. They're, they're sort of up there near the top, but not quite there. And then clubs, you know, Champions League clubs, they're on that level in other leagues, smaller countries. And then you, you go down, right? You drop into other leagues, you go down the rungs, right? And I think it's pretty clear to me at this point that MLS has climbed some rungs, right? And now they're at the point where they're plucking players from teams and leagues that are on rungs similar to them. And they've moved up enough where leagues and teams that are on rungs higher than them, right, are now reaching down and saying, oh, MLS, you're a little bit closer than you used to be. Let me reach down and scoop up a player or two from you, right? And, and I think that's kind of, that's that's good. It's good progress. And I think, really, I think it'll only continue. Um, and so I think it's a positive trend for the league. Well, Sam, on that note, I mean, like I was talking earlier about the Chicago Fire, Jairo Torres from Atlas, okay, 21 years old has played well for a team that won their first title yeah. in decades. decades. And there is this debate because in Mexico, there is a stronger internal market than there is external. The prices internally too strong. Are, are so much higher than they are externally that a lot of times players get stuck in the league. They play, they go to from a smaller team to Chivas or Club America or Monterrey or Tigres, right? And so there is this, there was this, and I, I tweeted it because I, I was seeing the debate happening in my mentions between Mexican fans arguing, you know, I'd rather him go to the MLS. He's got a chance to go to Europe. Another Mexican fan saying, what chance does he have? They've never developed any young Mexicans. And my point was, they have never signed any young Mexicans. <laughs> but that would be the next step. Like people have stayed, MLS has stayed out of the Mexican market because the prices are so strong internally. Particularly in for that, Mexican players. For Mexican players in that country. And if they start to pull some of the top young Mexican talent into this league, and I'm not talking about Gio and Jonathan Dos Santos at 26, 27, 28 years old. No, the 20 you know, I'm talking about 20, 21-year-old yeah. Mexican players and start to move those players abroad. Those run, The run goes up even more. I know? mean, you want to ruffle some feathers in Liga Mackies? Oof. You want to you really make you know, League's Cup interesting and really start to catch up to your opponents south of the border. That's Steal one way to players. do it. That's one way to do it. <laughs> and they develop the types of players that haven't really been developed as quickly here in MLS, which is flair players, attacking-oriented players. And um, 
it's it's just a really interesting dynamic because that is the next step for them to take these players that you're talking about that they're buying from Argentina that they're buying from Brazil that they're buying from Colombia and now potentially from Mexico uh and Venezuela a lot of Venezuelans have come here and to to now be able to sell those players I'll be interested to see how the dynamics change for the work permit situation because MLS is still one rung below those kind of next level leads. Yes. That's mostly UK only though. Yeah, but that's where a lot of money is in Europe. And when MLS is spending the prices that they're spending, that's what that's what they need. Um it, it in other words, there are levels of growth still to be achieved here. But when you see how rapidly things have changed in this transfer market, I don't know that those next levels are that far off, Sam. And They're not unattainable, no. And I'm not even not unattainable. Like I, I think that they could be reached in the next two years. The way that well, some are some of these guys that are being signed from South America to these U22 or young DP deals, they need to start playing better. But like that's that's why they're not being sold. They're not hitting on the field. Like well, it's only, not, we're only a year in, you know. We, well, we, but but even go back, even go back, like Ezekiel Barco, he wasn't supposed to be going on loan back to River. Like no, no, he was supposed to be going to the other side of the Atlantic on a sale for a lot of money, and, and just you know, Ryan Rodriguez is an example. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like you're right, you know, they haven't hit. The, I mean, it hasn't they, happened. They need to make progress in that area. Jefferson Soteldo, oh my God, you know, like they're, so they're, they they still haven't figured that out, and there is the potential for this to be a big money pit for a lot of teams, and so they need to refine it, right? Um, but it is interesting, and you know, if they can get that money, then they can put it back into the league, and this can kind of create like this positive feedback loop, and it should be able to grow. I just want to add one more note onto this. I know we need to move on to other things, but. An area I'm interested to watch is how you talked about like teams incentivized now to pour money, more money into their academy and to try to sell these homegrown players because of what they're seeing happen in Dallas, in Philly, um, even in DC now with Prades. I mean, I'm really interested to see how, how much that accelerates the owners of some of these markets that are in markets that are really strong that haven't taken advantage. So. How much are you willing as the owner of LAFC or LA Galaxy to really push to make sure homegrown players are on the field? Chicago Fire, they've signed 11 homegrown players. One of them we know is going to be sold for big money in the next few windows. Gaga, the goalkeeper, Gaga Slonina. You know, are are they we think. probably going to be sold for good money? Are they going to be pushing those other homegrowns onto the field? Are and, they going and to how be- do you balance that with winning, right? Because Dallas has done a great job of, of this part, but they don't win. And, and, and like there, there is a fine line that you have to walk there. Philly has done a great job with it. Philly's done a great job, but part of it is, and I really believe, I'm, I really, really do believe this, is that sometimes you don't know what you have until you stick them on the field for games. Like yeah, if you go 100%. talk to Jim Curtin about Brendan Aronson, Jim Curtin knew Brendan Aronson wasn't ready. He knew he wasn't ready, but he stuck him yeah. on the field and he let the kid learn on the field. And only way to learn is to do. Paul. A year later. He was ready, more ready than even Jim Curtin thought he would be. And sometimes you just have to believe. You have to, you have to give them the opportunity to prove you wrong. And that Maybe. doesn't happen enough. <laughs> and that's why you and I were both so shocked that Lucci was fired. Because Lucci, Lucci Gonzalez, Lucci Gonzalez stuck players out there. Well, he did. 
Well, he yeah, had to. No, he did, he but, to. but like, you know, he didn't have whoever, to. He whoever didn't... was going to replace him was going to have to do the same thing. You know? I mean, I don't know. Look at Dallas is changing right now, which is they should because they they're spending money finally. But, you know, I, I just think like I think it's an interesting dynamic to watch of like what kind of pressure is applied to Ezra Hendrickson? What kind of pressure is app- applied to Hernan Losada by these owners who are suddenly seeing a revenue stream possibility exists that didn't exist before, especially yeah. an owner like DC United or an owner. Copycat league, copycat league. <laughs> Everyone's going to want a chunk of this change, man. Everyone. There, we're, if we're seeing how drastically it's changing and how quickly it's changing, so are they. That's all I'm saying. Oh, hopefully. Speaking of chunks and change, here's a commercial. Stay with us. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. And we are back. Allocation disorder. I can't believe we've made it this long in the show, Paul. We're 45 minutes in. We haven't talked about, we haven't talked about Big Shaq, bro. The Power Cube. Jordan Shakiri to the Chicago Fire. What was your initial reaction when you saw this? If he's interested in being good, it's a really good signing. So I think at least one good year of Shakiri. Well, yeah, he's going to be going to the World Cup. So he's going to be engaged and interested in 2022. If he um, cares, he's, he's going to score 15 goals and, and he's going to get close to double digit assists, I think. Man, I don't know why I've always loved Shakiri. I think part of it is his name. Part of it is the way he looks. Part of it is his just like, stature um part of it is the fact that he's really got a penchant for scoring absolute golosos uh that world cup performance that he had against serbia was you know i guess it depends on your perspective but i thought it was iconic you know certainly very memorable either way um i don't know he's just a fun player and that video that the fire put out where he he's in some weird looking like I don't know, ancient seeming hall in Switzerland. And he's like talking on the phone and then he just goes, see you soon, Chicago. I was like, hell yeah, (laughs) let's go. (laughs) I'm not even a fire fan. It got me fired up though. And I don't know. I think this could be a good one to, to energize that team and that club and a little bit of that city. I had, I had my friends from high school, a few of them texting me being like, yo, the fire just signed Shakiri. Like what's going on? They don't pay attention to MLS, but I grew up playing soccer with them, and and, and I'm like, yeah. I was like, you're gonna go see a game, and they were like, maybe, <laughs> which is a big step. Yeah, huge a big step, step in this market. Um, no, Sam, for real. Like it, that's the most important takeaway for me right now, is that it seems like the Chicago Fire might finally be be realizing the level of player they need to sign to be competitive in this league because they they sure as hell didn't get it two years ago, and Shakiri is a much closer signing to what... Dude, if he's engaged and healthy, he could be MVP. Yeah, Easy. That's what I'm saying. Easy. Not only that, yeah. you're in Chicago, which is a massive market. You have a billionaire owner, one of the top five or six richest owners in Major League Soccer. You shouldn't be signing Robert Barrich. You should be signing Shakiri. And that's as easy as it is can be said. Yeah. There it is. Well done. Well done. And you know what? If he has a nice little retirement contract in a few years at FC Lugano, which is also owned by Joe Mansueto, gets to ride it out on a lake in the Italian part of Switzerland in the Alps. <laughs> Good for him, right? Good for him. Look, man, if they get, you know, they've got Shakiri over the line. If they get Jairo Torres from Atlas, they have another U22 spot open after that. They, you know, they sign Shabilko. They've got... Mm-hmm. They've got, uh, you know, I don't know they, who their center back. They have are, no depth. But, you know, <laughs> they have no depth, and they've still got some question marks in midfield because they decided to pick up and extend 
a player in a DP spot that should not have been extended or picked up. But Jimenez. Yeah, Gasani Jimenez. Navarro but, will help him. You know, they'll moving, be better than they were in the last right year, direction, baby. I think moving yeah, in the I right direction. It, t- it takes him long enough. Anyway, we're excited about Shakiri. Sam, we're also, Sam, yo, when you yeah. said you couldn't believe we made it through the whole episode without, there were yeah. like six things you could have said after that that would have right. been relevant. Say one. There was the most allocation disorder trade yes. ever. Well, we talked about. I mentioned that at the very top. To be fair. Okay, you know what? We'll leave that for the very end of the show then. How about this? Charlotte's coach today gave an interview in which he was asked, what should fans think about this season? And his answer was, and I'm going to censor it because we're on Total Soccer Show's feed, we're screwed. Hint, hint, the word was not screwed. It starts with an F. We're effed. We're effed. Is what he said. Is what he said. I laughed out loud when I saw it and immediately texted Felipe Cardenas. And then I thought I need to pull up Sam's article with Charlotte immediately and start pulling quotes for a tweet from their general manager a month ago talking about how good they were. Not even a month ago. January 14th. Sam, what were your thoughts on the interview? What are your thoughts on the roster? What are are you not going to say? Are you not going to say the quote that Zoran Kornetsa gave? You got to say it. You said it. There's so many quotes. The one that I initially pulled was when he was saying, if you, if you are going to compare major league soccer to the English championship, you're going to say it's a better league. You've lost me, something to that effect. The one I ended up using was, that's wrong. <laughs> we feel very good. We feel fantastic. We have good players, which is quite a contrast from we're effed. Uh, I'll pull yeah. up the other quote. And that's give always, it verbatim it's always here. good when a coach and the GM are on the same page. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, there is some importance of having guys experience in the league. But if anybody tells me that this league is more difficult than the championship in English in England, come on. So that's a little bit overstated, in Paul, my opinion. That's that's what they call hoisting yourself by your own petard in my neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a feeling we're going to be coming back to that quote from Zoran Carneta. Oh, I screenshotted as soon as I read your story a few for the times first time. I remember, Charlotte... remember where I was. I screenshotted <sighs> it so fast. And, and to be fair, Miguel Angel Ramirez, the head coach, he was like, listen, talk to me when the roster build is done. And then he said, we're effed. Um, and the roster build is not done yet, to be exceedingly fair to Charlotte. The early returns, I think it's fair to say, have not been good. I was talking to someone that saw them play not that long ago, a preseason match, and they were, uh, to say they were not impressed would be an understatement. Um, you know, I was, there, there was a, there was a story out that they had signed Darwin Machis from Granada in, in La Liga. Uh, our buddy Danny Nora of Univision was the first to report that news. And then it came out today that the deal fell through, um, in part due to some legal issues stemming from a bar fight that Machis had in Spain last April. Um, and I did a little bit of reporting on this one today, Paul. And from what I found out, um, it seemed that Charlotte wasn't aware of this public legal issue. It's been reported on in the press in Spain until like kind of late on in the process. And they got out. They didn't pay any money to Granada. They didn't sign. They didn't pay any money to Machis. They got out. But basic, the player was in Charlotte. Everything was agreed upon. He was taking his medical and then no deal. Um, because they, you know, they did their due diligence. They just kind of took a while to do it. Um, so who was I don't the know. person it, that Googled his name and saw the news story? That's what I want to know. Uh, it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't a secret. 
We'll put it like that. It's very, very public, this, this information. Um, he's got a pending court case, I believe, in Spain. So got to get that sorted. Maybe we'll see him again. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there are Charlotte. some problems there, Sam. They've had some organizational change here ahead of the start of the season. Yeah, New yeah. President uh, Tom Glick left, who who was the person who came in, had I worked mean, for City Football Paul, Group, hired it's the always, general manager, and now left before the season started. So it's always a good sign when the technical director, the one guy in the front office with significant MLS experience and the supposed number two, leaves a month before the first game to to make a lateral move to another club in MLS in the That's same ch- conference generally a sign that things are like hmm <laughs> what's going on there that's weird <laughs> it's not something you usually see so anyway um the other part of this miguel angel ramirez he said this today at an open practice at bank of america stadium that was open to fans um so just you know some nice color there um all right we've waited long enough it's the moment of truth caden clark allocation order Allocation money, international spots, confusing rules. Paul, this is our thing, dude. Talk the people through what happened. Or do you need me to do it? No, I need you to do it. I definitely don't have it pulled up. All right, fine. My computer can't handle that kind of... I'm just going to try and do this off the top of my head. Caden Clark, for those of you who do not know, U.S. international slash youth international, he was acquired by the New York Red Bulls in 2020. His homegrown rights were traded for from Minnesota United. I don't remember exactly how much allocation money they spent, but they spent some to get his rights from Minnesota United. He then debuted in 2020. He scored a few goals right off the bat. He played in the playoffs. He got off to a good start in the 2021 season. Uh, and then he had appendicitis, and it sort of derailed his entire year. Uh, early in the year, New York agreed to sell Clark to sister club Leipzig in a deal that would take effect in January 2022, last month. Um, Leipzig decided, well, we don't have our American coach anymore. Caden Clark, he's coming off of a difficult year in MLS because of his injury issues, health issues. Why don't we just leave him in MLS for a while? We'll loan him back to New York. All right. Seems simple enough. Clubs in the same family. Let him get some more seasoning, et cetera, et cetera. All good. Maybe he'll go to Germany some other time. Well, that's not how it works. In MLS, there's this thing called the allocation order, which everyone who is sold for more than $500,000 is subject to. And obviously, the inspiration for the name of this podcast is something that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, but basically, this is a ranking list. And the teams that finished worst in the league the season prior are at the top of it. And if there is a player who is on that list coming back into the league, the team at the top of the list has priority to sign him. The Red Bulls, I believe, were number 14 on this list. <laughs> so if they wanted to loan Caden Clark back, their own player, <laughs> if they wanted to get him back from Leipzig <laughs> and keep him in MLS, they had to get to the top of the allocation order. Well, the teams at the top of the allocation order, they kind of have the Red Bulls hostage, right? They have all the leverage here. And so this played out in interesting fashion. Cincinnati had the top spot in the allocation order. They clearly wanted to maintain the top spot. They didn't want to give it up. They didn't want to trade the Red Bulls and move all the way back to 14. So the Red Bulls had to get creative. So they traded Toronto FC for the number two spot in the allocation order. They sent $575,000 in allocation money to Toronto for that number two spot. Now they got the number two spot and an international slot in return. Those have been trading for about 250. So we'll say it's 325 for the number two spot in the allocation order. 
They then traded the number two spot in the allocation order to FC Cincinnati for $100,000 in allocation money. They then used the number one spot in the allocation order to reacquire Caden Clark on loan through the 2022 season with an option to extend his contract that loan into 2023. He got his contract with Leipzig extended a year as kind of a make good for him for having to go through all of this. And my favorite part personally of this entire thing, Cincinnati then moved immediately back up to number one in the allocation order. So they just got a hundred thousand dollars for doing absolutely nothing and nothing changed. And Paul, I mean this honestly and seriously. I think that is the best roster move in FC Cincinnati history. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Brenner. I think I nailed uh, that explanation too. Pretty proud of myself. I was enjoying it. And he also gave me some time to look up what we previously reported about Caden Clark because I couldn't, we couldn't remember what the number was to Minnesota United. It could rise to as high as $275,000 depending on various clauses. Wow. And I was told at the time that it, the, those were not difficult to achieve clauses. So like it was, they believed it, two, it was 275? Likely- 275 plus another 325 plus another 100,000, right? So we're talking about $700,000 invested into Caden Clark. And what makes me happiest about this is that, that that really eats into the one million max of allocation that you can get for the transfer. Sam, the premise, the idea of the allocation order is to prevent MLS teams from competing with each other over signing these players who are coming back to MLS, prominent players, and to try to theoretically, it's like a draft order too, and in, in in the NFL to try to help the bad teams. But it just costs these rules that MLS creates that that. The, the select few individuals created arbitrarily based on whatever whims they were feeling that day or whatever ideas they thought were so good, you know, over homegrown territory rights and allocation order have cost a team $700,000 to entice a player to sign in the league, which is a single entity league owned by everyone, develop said player, sell them to Europe, and then bring them back on loan to continue to develop them. It costs them an extra 700000 to do it for no other reason than these stupid arbitrary rules that MLS has. <laughs> well, to be fair, Paul, that 700000 is staying within MLS. It's just not with the Red Bulls anymore, right? Now Minnesota and Toronto and All Cincinnati the hard work some... Minnesota United did on Caden Clark paid off. All that hard work that Toronto FC did <laughs> on scouting, getting to the I – mean, on sucking listen, and getting to the listen, top of the allocation order. The – the Red Bulls, though, they messed this up. They knew what the rules were. Yeah. They messed no, it up. 100%. And I don't know if a promise was made to Caden Clark, hey, you'll go in January 2022. I'm guessing there was a promise made to Caden Clark to get him to come from Minnesota and the Barca, Arizona Academy to the Red Bulls. I'm guessing that was involved as part of the deal. So whatever. You take your lumps. But, you know, to have it happen this way where Leipzig doesn't want him at this moment in time and they don't want to loan him to Salzburg either – um, and instead he has to come back to MLS. Uh, well, if you messed it up, you kind of got to pay the consequences. And here they are paying the consequences. They, you know what? They should have been looking down the road when they were negotiating the Frankie Amaya trade. <laughs> and they should have worked oh, it into the Frankie Amaya trade because, yeah, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. Not, that was not like great. four FC Cincinnati general managers ago. <laughs> Four um, Cincinnati general managers ago and two wow. Cincinnati wins ago. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Might be true. Oh, my God. Hey, but you know what, Paul? They're on the up. 
They're getting a hundred thousand for doing nothing. And you know what? The move I think really ignited the seven allocation disorder listeners to tweet at us and say, "Hey, yes. this yes. is what it's all about, baby." Yeah, we see you out there. Twitter handles that I can't remember right now. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this show. It's been a roller coaster. Joe, we make sure it. you listen to my version and not Sam's version. No, Joe, leave that in. We got to embrace the suck, Paul. Embrace the suck. Allocation disorder. Thanks for listening.